What's up, Internet? Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Augustine Sanchez, founder of The Photographic Journal. This week, we're chatting up Robert LeBlanc, whose origin as a skateboard photographer led to documentary work capturing hyper-specific groups within world culture. His documentary, music, and fashion work bring his worldview into focus with a gritty realism, contrast, and eye for color. Robert, thank you so much for joining us, man. Cool, man. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, um... You are located over in Los Angeles, right? Yep. Out here on the West Coast. You had a column for Vice that got published uh, covering the, the protests. Yeah, yeah. They actually, uh, I was out on, I believe it was the second or third night of when the process uh, started. So yeah, they ended up picking up a few of those and running the story, which was pretty great. What was it like being out there? It's pretty crazy. Um, the energy in the air is just really really intense um you know it it was funny because the the day of i was kind of prepping for the for going out there and i want to make sure i had all my press credentials and everything to kind of separate me from the crowd in case things got like too crazy and uh you know i was joking with other people i was like i could just feel like something was going to happen that night you can just kind of see the tension in there and just like something about that day you knew it was going to be kind of a wild night and it ended up being probably one of the craziest ones out of what we've had so far because I covered the protest downtown, which got pretty rowdy. And then at the same time, that's when the protest in West Hollywood was also happening. And that's the one that was the big one with all the cars getting burned, um, lots of looting going on. So that whole day in general was just kind of like a, a huge amount of mayhem for the city, to say the least. Yeah. How do you mentally prepare yourself for that? I mean, I know that you live in, in Los Angeles you're going out probably to areas that you frequent or know of pretty regularly, but all of a sudden it looks more like a war zone than, you know, the normal street that most Americans would kind of be used to. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you got to also remember this is, you have this backset of, of COVID too, right? So the city already has a weird eerie vibe of it being just empty and nobody out. And especially in Los Angeles, you know, it's such there's always cars and traffic and everything. So you kind of already have this vibe. And then, yeah, now we have the protest, which is, which was pretty extreme too. So, I, I mean, preparing for it, I, I, I kind of just know that, you know, what I'm going to see is what I'm going to see. I don't really get too crazy with getting my mindset when I get in the situations like that. I just kind of want to go for it. And I, you know, you need to do an, I suggest this for all photographers that do anything that's somewhat conflict involving is you always need to do some sort of um, assessment of what could happen, worst case scenario, what are all the uh, situations that you could be involved with and how do you prepare yourself for that. So, you know, those things always cross my mind. And that was a big thing was like, I made sure I like I bought a vest and I spray painted a huge white letters press on the back. Like I wanted to make sure the police knew why I was there. So, like I said, there was a lot of looting, a lot of fires that night. So I want to make sure that if if they just end up just charging and starting arresting the crowd, at least I had that kind of signature on me that said, okay, this guy's press, he's here to, to photograph. But, I mean, after you see all the videos of what's been going on, I don't think the cops gave two shits if you were press or not. They're still pepper spraying and arresting the press, too, so... There's always that risk of me still going to get arrested for just being there, you know, being in the midst of all that mayhem. So, but, you know, I try to just go in there, 
you know, risk assess what I have, what it, what needs to go away. You know, there's certain things that you can see. Like if the cops start all start putting on gas masks, there's a pretty good chance that the pepper spray is going to be, or you know, some sort of uh, chemical smoke is going to come out at some point. You know, so there's like these little things that you just need to keep an eye on, for the most part. And at that time too, they set the curfew, so I kind of knew that the police were just going to be there to hold the line until curfew kicked in. And then like once curfew kicked in, that's when they're going to start coming in and arresting people and being a little bit more confrontational with the protesters. So, you know, at, at a certain point, once the curfew passed, once I kind of saw things getting more heated and heated, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to step away from this situation because I know it's going to get pretty wild right now. And I didn't really want to get arrested that night. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> With going into sort of a conflict situation like that, what are your goals as you go in? Are you looking for to capture more of that mayhem or are you just capturing what honestly is there and in, in you're experiencing? I think trying to capture what honestly is there. That's definitely like for anybody who does documentary or photojournalism, you can't put a bias to your photography, right? And it's pretty easy to paint a picture of this of everything with the protests as in, you know, it's craziness and it's looting and they're lighting things on fire, which in all reality, it's, it's only a small crew of the people, right? I mean, majority, I would say 90% of everybody who's out there is peacefully protesting. If not so, more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's no reason I, I think that you don't want to just focus on that one thing, right? Cause that's not getting any justification to what the whole movement is about and what all these protests are about. And you're really doing a big uh, disservice to the protests and the cause for only showing the craziness, right? So I try to capture the, like, what's the pure energy? And I just happened to be there that night. I showed up right when things were getting pretty crazy. So, you know, I just happened to be there when it was like, all right, they started to throw rock and light big dumpsters on fire and stuff like that. But I really tried to shoot a lot of the people protesting that weren't involved with a lot of the, um, the violence that was coming along with it. Because like I said, I don't, I don't want to give a one-sided view of what's happening right now. So yeah. And then I would go out date in the mornings too, you know, when, when the city was quiet and kind of get photos of, you know, maybe just the national guard in an empty city, you know, or like kind of maybe some of the graffiti that was painted or, trying to give or like, you know, signs that were left in the street. You know, I just went over to the big, they had a huge memorial. That's like a whole city block, just full of flowers and signs. So you know, there's all these little things, these quiet moments too, that are happening during these protests that I think can really speak a lot to people too. And it's not just like the big crowds and all the mayhem that goes along with it. Right. It's, it's another side of the emotion. It's a more somber side, more pensive. And I think if you see a sign that's just written out and it has a list of, you know, every person that's been killed because of police brutality, like just reading those names says a lot, you know what I mean? So I think so that, that photo might resonate more with people than somebody like just flipping off the cops or throwing a rock or lighting something on fire. You know what I mean? I think like you seeing those names and you seeing those people who have been, um, treated with injustice and it really just shows like, I think it just creates a little bit more of a human aspect to it. I think it shows a more mature side to what the protest is about and how they've been able to communicate at a higher level 
it's easy to kind of demonize this and say that everyone's just in it to loot and they're just angry. It's not the case. I, I, there, there's way too much coverage of very coherent, very eloquent people speaking their minds and having a part in documenting that. It's a big responsibility. Most definitely. And especially being a white man too, right? Like it's not even the responsibility of taking the photos and making sure you're telling the story right. But it's also another situation where I can't, um, I need to be really careful about how I portray this and how I take these photos too, because I don't want to come at it in like a wrong perspective or, you know, people, you know, you need to be really honest with those photographies and taking all those accountabilities of like what your responsibility is for filming that or photographing that. So let's talk about that a little more. I think in looking at your body of work in, you know, what you have historically been capturing, um, you have an extremely diverse set of documentary photography that goes, you know, everywhere from snake churches to hip hop artists to what have you. You have the street cred where I think that you're okay to be documenting this because that's just what you're doing all the time. There are a lot of photographers that are white, you know, men or women that are looking at this more as an opportunity. Um, I personally don't feel that that's right. Um, and, you know, people might disagree with me and that's okay. Everyone can. What are your thoughts on on that responsibility and, and your viewpoint on that? Um, well, I, I 100% agree with you that I don't think anybody should try to take advantage of the situation just to get exposure, right? Like, I mean, if you're doing this for the Instagram clout and internet love, then you probably should go fuck yourself, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean... I, I, this is a real serious thing. You know, this is affecting a lot of people for a long time and, you know, people's lives have been lost because of this. So I think you need to a come and in, come into a situation. If you're photographing this, you need to be genuine and honest and you need to be actually care about why you're doing this and how, how this is going to affect the community that is actually protesting and standing up for this cause. So, I think that's really, really important. Um, I've been blessed that a lot of people in different communities have accepted me. You know, there's a lot of situations where I could have been told to kick rocks and leave, and I had no business being there with my camera, you know, certain neighborhoods or in certain places. But, you know, I've been lucky where a lot of people have trusted me with that responsibility and um, let me be around them of all colors, of all groups. So, you know, I, I think that's really important to me and I want to, and I think it's a privilege and an honor to have that responsibility. So I think I need to also keep that in mind while I'm taking my photos and understand like, why am I, what am I photographing? Why am I doing this? And what's the reason for doing this? And am I making sure I'm giving an honest, true perspective of what the situation is going on? So looking at the way that you've been able to maneuver different groups, um, I know that you started off as more of a skateboard photographer out on the street with your friends, shooting at night, going into different neighborhoods. 
Do you think that that prepared you for a lot of the documentary work that, that you're doing now? I think so, for sure. I mean, when you're out on you're out skating, you're in different neighborhoods all the time. You're always interacting with different people. Like, I, you know, everybody loves skateboarding. They love to watch it. Like, maybe not so many business owners that there's a skate spot or, like, the police for the most part. But um, it definitely gave me the ability to, like, go to different neighborhoods and be able to be in places I probably wouldn't have normally been in because I was like, oh, there's a good skate spot here. Or I haven't skated in this part of the city. Or I haven't, you know, ventured out to this part. And then, you know, skateboarding is such a humbling thing too. Like you're beaten up and you're broken down and you have to work so hard to just like learn a trick or get somewhere. So I think that attribute that I learned from skateboarding, it's kind of built into me the way that I treat people. And I, and I've, I feel like I have somewhat of like a humble um, demeanor to myself. So maybe that helps me out too when I meet different people and I can just be like honest and we are able just to vibe and connect, which is makes a lot easier. But yeah, I mean, pretty much everything great in my life, I give it to skateboarding because at some way it's rooted back to what skateboarding like gave me as a younger kid. It fascinates me because I think that you, you've been able to use the skateboarding is a way to connect with people, to read body language, to make sure that your body language is appropriate and be non-threatening in situations where a lot of other people probably would have gotten kicked out, especially if they had a camera in hand. Um, So for the audience that doesn't know, um, I alluded to it a little bit before, but Robert has worked, you know, doing, covering snake churches in West Virginia, border patrol agents in, you know, Canadian borders, juggalos in Ohio, strippers in Texas and Florida. I mean, he's sort of embedded himself in all these different groups. He's gone across the United States just talking to normal Americans in a Tesla. Um, You don't. Your style is pervasive through everything you're shooting. And I, I, I honestly really appreciate that. But the subjects that you're shooting are extremely diverse. Yeah, for sure. I mean, America's diverse, right? Like, there's so many different groups, and that's what makes this country so great is we're such this melting pot of different people and different places. So, you know, <coughs> um, I, I feel like it's it's such – and I've been working on this book, right? Like, let's all bring this back to, like, for the last five years, I've been, like, really focusing on doing a book that's trying to show America as a whole. So with that said – if, how do I show this America as a whole if I don't show its diversity and all the different groups and all the different like weird little sectors there are and subcultures and stuff like that because that's what makes this country so great. And you, especially when you travel outside of the country and you meet people in different countries, a lot of people reference America on like our kind of weird subcultural stuff, right? Like those, that kind of like, that, that I don't know what it is, but like that thing about this country kind of sticks with a lot of other people. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I want to show that and I want, so yeah, I I go out and I find different people, I find different groups that I think are really interesting and I try to spend time with them and just kind of get to know them and and try to show that group in like an honest way. But it's definitely led me to meet a bunch of different people and different groups and it's pretty awesome and I I mean, I feel really blessed to go to, like you said, the Gathering of the Juggalos. Then I then you know head over to like 
Kentucky to meet a group of lowriders, and then I'm in West Virginia shooting a snake church. Like, it's it's, it's such a fun adventure. I love it. <laughs> How do you embed yourself in these groups? A lot of these groups, I'm sure, are very protective of their cultures and the way that you're speaking about them. Um, you know, we we spoke a little bit earlier about intent and needing to be honest as a photo documentarian, as somebody that is going in with a journalistic approach, you're trying to, you know, eschew like your bias and really just capture what's there and tell a story. Mm -hmm. Um, It takes a while sometimes, you know, like a great example is the snake church, right? Like they, those groups of churches um, have been exploited so much and people will get in there and film them and be like, look at these like, crazy religious nuts that like live up in the Appalachians that use like open flames and, and rattlesnakes in their church service. But you know, there's a rich history of that. Like that's been around since the forties and the thirties. And it's, it's a real, real powerful thing to witness, but they're really guarded. So, you know, you have to, you know, there was a few churches I showed up with. I just want to sit down and talk to the pastor. And then once they found out why I was there, they're like, you got to go, you got to get out of here. And I totally understand, like, you know, their guarded kind of feeling about that. But, you know, I, I locked in with the pastor. I talked to him probably for three months before I even came to the church. You know, we started a kind of a good dialogue. I let him know, like, what, why am I here? What do I think is amazing about it? It's like, I find, A, what you do is unbelievably fascinating, super powerful. I mean, when you talk about open flames and rattlesnakes, I mean, it obviously makes for great photography, no matter what the situation is. But... You know, I just want to be honest with them. I was like, hey, I think what you do is really, really cool. Um, you know, if you allow me to come up there, I'll make sure, like, I'm not here to exploit you. I'm not here to make fun of you. I'm just here to, like, witness something really amazing. And, uh, you know, and then he invited me to this church the night before, pretty much interrogated me with him and his whole family just to see if I was being honest and genuine. And then by the end of the couple hours of conversation, he's like, you're cool. Like, I trust you. Um, yeah, come through to the church tomorrow and we'll, we'll see what happens. So yeah, sometimes it takes, you know, three or four months of just really kind of getting to know the person. And, and I think it's a big thing for a lot of photographers that need to understand that you need to spend a lot of time with people. A, you need to earn their trust. B, the best photos come when their walls are down and people are familiar with you. They trust you. And they're not always second guessing you and always looking over their shoulder at the guy with the camera. Like, you know, if you really want to cover something that you have the ability to do it long-term, you need to do it long-term because in the end, your photography will be a lot better because of it and your relationship and your understanding of what you're documenting will be a lot stronger too. I've never understood photographers that come in rushed, run and gun, and just get what they can. Um, you know, I like sitting back, understanding a subject, kind of casing them, I'm sure you're the same, you know, in terms of a location, you're, you're shooting in so many diverse places. One, one thing that I've, I've noticed is you, the image quality of what you're shooting is incredible. And the way that it's lit and framed is always like next to perfect. How is your approach to, to shooting something that is kind of in the wild, but and, and honestly, like the feeling that I always get from your portfolio and, and looking through your photos is 
something that's so in the moment that it doesn't even seem like you're there. It's cinematic. It's like you're a fly on the wall. This is what real life is. And you're capturing it in this like beautiful, beautiful way. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, when, I, when I go to anything, I'm always, for once you know what you're doing, what, like what the story's about, right? So then you kind of have this like focus on like, what's, what's the main thing? Like if you have, to, like I always think of it as if, if I have to tell everything that I'm doing right now and all these people and all their stories, and if I can fit it into one frame, what needs to be in this frame to have all the ingredients to tell the story? So I kind of go on with that mindset when, after I spend some time. And then I always sit back and I evaluate where's the light in the room or where's the light going? Like where's the sun going to go down? Um, I got to pay attention to all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I try to just get a lay of the land and, and just think about things for a while and try to understand like what, what like sideshow, for example, like where do the cars come in? Where are the cars spinning? Where's the sun going to shine the best where I can get everything I need to do? Where are the cars going to leave? Like you need to just kind of get a good lay of the land. And then after a while, you know what certain things are supposed to be in frame. And then, you know, hopefully you just get lucky because <laughs> I think a lot of it comes down to dumb luck. You can plan. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've come into my mind about like a photo that I, I would like to get. And then you leave with nothing like that. Right. Like it's just, you have to just feel the moment. And I'm a big fan of using really wide lenses. So I usually only shoot with a, a 35. That's about it. So <clears throat> I'm really, really pushed getting close. The closer you get, the better the photo is going to get, I feel like, in a lot of situations. And it gives you this real connection to, like, what's going on in the scene. And I really want people to feel like they're right there, standing right there, like, next to the car that's spinning. Or they're in the, the second pew of the snake church. Or they're, you know, they're right there in front of the, the stage at the strip club. Like, all the money's coming down on top of you, not just a stripper, like... You know, I really want you to feel like you're immersed in the scenario. So I try to really incorporate that a lot. And, you know, there's photographers I've always looked up to, like Robert Frank and Alex Webb, you know, and Eugene Richards. And I feel like their photos were always so powerful because they were so close to their subjects. And, you know, people like Alex Webb that just are unbelievably amazing at composition. So, like, I always try to take those things that those photographers inspired me and try to kind of do that in my own way or my own style. With getting close, do you think there's a power in the person knowing that you're photographing them? Uh, so much of street photography and conflict photography, you could be that fly on the wall and they could never know you're there and know what you're capturing, uh, especially with a wider lens or some you know, either wider and capturing the whole scene or using, you know, a, a longer lens and really getting into detail without needing to get in somebody's face. Sometimes that to me, it almost feels like, yes, you're documenting something, but there's something dishonest about it in that you're almost stealing a moment. You didn't, you never really communicated to somebody that you're there and you're a willing participant in that moment. A hundred percent. I think, uh, I think if you're, if you're just shooting it from afar, you're just kind of taking the easy way out. And I think that, you know, it, it takes a lot of nerve to get up in that 
in that situation up close and be involved with it and also take the photo too, right? I think a lot of people struggle with, they don't want confrontation and they don't want people to be like, why are you here? What's going on? But you'd be surprised if once you just explain to somebody why you're here and if you're being honest and you're not being full of shit, then they'll, they'll, people will be like, all right, cool, do your thing. So I think you just need, like a lot of people need to get over that fear of confronting people and just like dive into it, you know, like get in there. And, and I think the energy when you're in there, it resonates in the images too. Like, I mean, it's pretty obvious. You, you can take a photo like a bystander or you could take a photo like a participant. And everybody knows when you're participating, like everything is more alive. Everything's got a lot of more energy, you know, because you, you're in there. You're in that. You feel that energy. You thrive off those energy of the people around you. And that helps with your creative eye and how you're seeing the situation. Because, I mean, at least with photography, it's the way that I see the world and the way that I experience things too. So, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm having a really strong experience and I'm having a really intimate moment with whatever's going on around me, I, th I, I know that energy is going to be put into the frame. And, and hopefully that energy that I'm feeling, I can let other people feel when they look at those photos. So not necessarily with, with conflict photography, but with, let's say, you know, shooting, shooting the snake churches or the juggalos, are you directing people? Are you having them pose in any way? Are you interacting with them as you're photo you know, pho photographing them? Or are you really just sitting back and letting them do what they do? Um, I 90% of my time, I'm trying to sit back and let them do what they do. I mean, obviously, like I'm floating around and I'm mingling and I'm, I'm up close, but I don't, I don't like staging stuff because once I stage something, I feel like it just doesn't look good. I mean, there's there's a there's a certain situation. If I see something and I see, I'm like, oh, like there's an example I have of I I shot this uh, strip club DJ in in Houston, and she had this like really baby pink hoodie on, and she was holding a stack of like fifty thousand dollars, and she had like a kind of a diamond chain. So I'm like, all right, you know, her holding the stack of money, the chain on the on the light pink, like just that looks really nice. So sometimes I'll see things like that where I'm like, all right, I really need to just like get these elements into into the photo because I think the coloring, the composition, everything looks great. But I, I would say majority of all the photos I take, I'm not, I'm just there and I'm just trying to catch it and trying to spot it. And you know, I think that's a real trick that a lot of people have to learn. And and it happens to me all the time. I'll miss a photo and it drives me insane. You know, something will happen right by me. I'm like, ah, if I would have seen this like 10 seconds earlier, if I would have been like two seconds faster, I would have got it. But like, definitely like there's a skill of seeing this coming your way. And I kind of like, all right, here's this person coming. This person's going to cross their path. Like the light's going to hit their face here. If I can time it just right here, like it'll, it'll turn out the way I do. And every once in a while, I'll get really lucky and actually get it. But, you know. I, yeah, I, I just try to like kind of sit back and, and, and let the world do its thing. As you're interacting with people, obviously you have to earn their trust. Does the type of camera that you're bringing into a situation have an impact in the way that people are responding to you? As well as, are you showing them like your Instagram so they know that you're for real? Or do you have like a business card? Like how, how are you sort of showing off a little street cred so that they trust that you're going to get good results. Um, I usually don't try to show them. I've never really had too much of a situation where I have to show them anything. 
And, you know, most of the time I feel like when you have to reference projects, it's usually when you're trying to pitch to like other clients, you know, or people who are going to actually like pay you for a job. But um, most of my documentary stuff, it's just me getting to know the people and me sitting down and talking to them and vibing out and, and seeing if we're like on the same level. And like I said, it'll sometimes I'll, I'll spend two or three days with them not even taking a photo and then having them building that trust. And then like on the fourth day, they're like, they're cool with me. They understand me. And now it's like, they'll be like, when are you going to start taking photos? Like, where's your camera at? And then it's like, at that point, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, they want me to take the photos, right? Um, and I think having a, uh, a low-impact kit is really useful, too. Um, I shoot with a lot of, like, compact Sonys, and I think Sony does an amazing job of making really powerful cameras that aren't really bulky and obtrusive because I think when people see somebody with a big camera coming their way, you automatically see their body language change. You automatically kind of see how they look at you change. And I've always tried to use, you know, f like full frame kind of rangefinder size cameras that are, I can throw in my pocket. I can tuck in my jacket. I can totally make it disappear in a couple seconds. And when people see me bring it out, it's, it's not like this, like, whoa, this crazy camera. And it's just distracting. The less distracting for me, the better. So for sure. It's funny because depending on your crowd, having a very ornate or crazy looking camera can actually be something that sort of attracts people. For you know, sure. They, Especially they, in the strip clubs. The strip clubs for sure. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, that's, that's a whole other world in itself, right? There's, there's two different kinds of strip clubs. There is strip clubs that are everywhere in the country, and then there's strip clubs in the South. And the strip clubs in the South have a whole another vibe to themselves you know what i mean like that th those places get live and it's really fun and the energy's crazy and there's usually like a lot of people like they'll have a couple like you know everybody's got their cell phones out and it's just not like this like uptight like weird creepy strip club you'd find in like washington or like idaho you know what i mean um but yeah they definitely like sometimes i'll have people be like well are, you're a photographer you're shooting with that little camera and then you just gotta tell people like you know Technology is a pretty impressive, man. Like, you know, this isn't this isn't 1990 anymore. Like, they have really powerful cameras that come in really small bodies, and like this, like you'd be surprised. And then I'll like show them some other photos. Like, I remember I showed these uh, the people in the strip club photos that I took of forest firefighters up in Montana, and like the photos turned out really great. And they're like, "Whoa, those are crazy!" And I was like, "Yeah, I shot them with this little camera." And they're like, "Okay, cool, whatever, do your thing." Like, <laughs> like you proved it, like that camera can do some pretty impressive stuff. You mentioned before that you're working on a book, uh, something that is really covering all of America, all of its diversity. Do you have a, a title and when you're looking to publish it? Yeah, so the plan was to publish it this year around September. But um, with the effect of COVID and stuff like that, like it kind of just threw a big monkey wrench in everything, you know, like I have exhibitions that I have planned out and book release events and stuff like that, that I, I want to make sure when I release this book, it's, I can do it at its, at the best point it possibly can be. Cause I've spent, you know, five years on this now, so much time, so much money. And like, you know, being on the road for a year, sleeping in a car, you know, it's like, so I want to make sure it came out. So I decided to push it till next year I want to make sure it's you know 
every hopefully like vaccines will be out by now. People start to gathering in spaces. People can start going to you know exhibitions and book parties and stuff like that. So I decided to kind of push it till next year. Um, I'm going to call it a new America because um, I think it's kind of where we're at. It's I focus a lot on like the weird subculture, new things. Like you know, it's definitely different than what you what you would imagine what the American dream would be. But you know, I think we talked about this before. Is you know, we're in a generation that we understand pre-internet, pre-cell phone. You know what I mean? And like, the world is changing so fast now, and people are just—they'll—they'll they'll never understand what the world was like without the internet. Like, you know, like the—the the new generation won't understand what it was like to just like call your friend at their parents' house on the landline and be like, "All right, cool." I'll meet you there at like three thirty. like better show up. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> I really want to kind of capture that separation of these generations and the change into this country, into like a new, a new world, really what it is, because like that old world is dying out and with cell phones, the internet and all that stuff, like the country's changing a lot. And, you know, I, I pay a lot of homage to uh, Robert Frank's book, the Americans. I mean, I mean, it's the legendary book, but, and that was like my Bible when I was younger and learning photography. And I, I feel like he captured that time, like post-World War and Industrial Revolution and all that shit like happened in that time. He did such a great job. And I felt like he timed it perfect. That was such a huge cultural shift in the country when that happened. So I kind of feel like we're in that time again now with technology and everything. So a lot of that book is that kind of like, where is the world going you know, I, I took photos in, like, a sex doll factory that does, like, these AI sex dolls, like, you know, like, kind of talking about, like, where's intimacy going in the future? Like, are we, are we, are we connecting with people over a phone so much that we don't even need physical contact anymore? You know, like, these little things that I'm, I'm wondering about what's going to happen, you know, down the road. So I'm trying to kind of capture that before we kind of go to, like, full board crazy shift and i want people to look back and be like damn like you know 2000 you know 2000 2022 like that was a really crazy historic point in the country where like things just changed dramatically for better or for worse who knows you bring up some really interesting points i think that the idea of with the advent of social media and curating who you are online versus who you might be in private there are some people that that wear who they are, you know, like a, a red badge of courage. And there's other people that hide behind it. And it's a it's a very odd, you know, two edged sword where you're either going to meet somebody and they're going to be exactly who they are online. And it's refreshing. And you meet other people and it's like, wow, you're nothing like what I expected. And you know, they might be really anxious and controlling and, and sort of actually the reason they're good at social media is because they're not good at being with people. Um, so, I mean, I think that even looking at what's happening with youth culture in Japan with intimacy, people getting married, being able to grow up and, and have a happy lifestyle, you know, are we headed that way? Are we headed to where your expectation versus reality is so skewed that you just don't even want to connect with people. I, I'm, I'm, I hope not, you know, I'm, I'm scared for that a little bit. And, 
you know, I, I, and I'm definitely, I'm not innocent in that too. Like I, I will definitely catch myself spending too much time looking at my phone when I'm bored or not talking to people as much as I should when I'm not out like photographing, like you'll find it, you kind of find yourself in your own little corner, but I hope people don't lose that connection with people, right? Because it, it sucks when you go to a restaurant and you look at a table full of friends and they're all looking at their phones. And it's, and it's I mean, I don't know. It just kind of makes you think, like, where, where, where are we going with this? Like, how are we going to interact with, you know, the human race? And are we going to lose that? And I think that's what I love about photography so much is, like, I can't do that, right? I have to meet people. I have to be involved. We have to have a connection. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about photography is that, you know, you, you're still using technology and you're using a very powerful tool that captures something great. But like, if you don't have that human connection with somebody, at least if you shoot people, um, you know, you won't ever have a great photo. So hopefully I can kind of bring that feeling into my photos too. You know what I mean? And then, and it goes with, even with like, going back to the book, you know, it's so important for me to like print images and have them in a room for people to see because looking at them on a screen does such a dishonest to like, to the image itself. Like there's something so powerful about seeing it in people. So like I want to see people connect with it in a physical sense too. And I want people to be in a room and I want one person to interpret an image and the other person see the complete opposite thing. And hopefully they get in a huge argument about the photo and I can be really happy because I sparked emotion and people like felt something while, while looking at the images, you know, we talked about this before. There was an image I took and it has a, a really young kid, like a baby reaching its hand into a box full of bullets, you know, and that's my interpretation of youth, how youth is being affected by gun violence in this country and how school shootings have become such a huge thing in the last, you know, decade or so. And, that's something that I try, I try to hand it all like social things that are going on. Right. So, and I think if someone just like looked at it on a screen, it wouldn't be nothing. But I think if you see this huge photo of a, of a you know, all these bullets in the baby's hand, it, hopefully you feel something and it starts some sort of dialogue. So even if I can connect people like that and get them to start talking and step, step away from their screens for a second, I, I feel like I win. You bring up a great point. I, for our audience, imagine you're scrolling through Instagram and you see a photo that gives you pause. You really look at it and it, it there's a deeper connection. You're looking at a 1080 by 1080 square on your device that you've been looking at all day that is using a program that's made to swipe, 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 tap, 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 right? Like it's what it's built for. It's great. I've got no problems with it, but that's what the interaction is. That's what the expectation is. Versus going to an exhibition and looking at that same photo printed out 19 by 36 or bigger and having an even deeper connection with it, being able to linger on it, look at all the details in the background, really understand the story that a photographer and an artist like Robert is trying to tell. It's just a, it's a very different tactile um, interaction with art that not everyone is having all the time. And I think that is lacking for, especially during COVID, right? A hundred percent. You know, I've, I've been asked to do like digital exhibitions and stuff and I just try and I understand the need for it right now. Right. <clears throat> like people still want to show their work and people still want to do like, 
keep the you know whatever the momentum that the art gallery is trying to create and stuff but I, I you have to for me you have to see it in person like it's just such a big thing for me um and yeah you know you're on your screen like you have pop-ups you have things that distract you all the time like you can't really focus and i have a lot of easter eggs in my photos like you know just because there's so much stuff sometimes going on if you like look at it there's like these little things that are placed around in images that you wouldn't have normally looked at like if you stare at it for a while you start to see all these little easter eggs or these little things i've tried to place in the frame too to kind of tie everything in together so yeah if, if you look at a photo for three seconds you're not going to catch it i can guarantee you so so with with being as embedded as you are as you move across the u.s you know you you've given a few situations like the juggalos like have you had situations where you've been uncomfortable obviously looking at something like a snake church there's sort of a a, a weird curiosity or, or with the AI built, you know, sex bots, but have you had situations where you actually kind of find it revolting and you have a hard time keeping your cool in situations? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely been a few. I, uh, one that definitely popped into my mind the most was I had an assignment with BuzzFeed to do a whole story on the bikers for Trump. And it was right during 4th of July and it was in Washington, D.C. at a very prominently known, like, mega, proud boy, really right-wing bar at the bottom of this hotel. So they're like, hey, we want you to go out, um, spend time with, you're going to come out with another journalist. And thank God the journalist was, like, super cool because it was the first time I had a chance to meet this guy, too. And uh I forget his last name. His name's James. Uh, I forgot off the top of my head, but the guy is amazing too. A really, really good writer. And um, they're like, you need to go to this hotel where they're all staying and get cool with them. And you got three days to like take photos of them and kind of do a whole story on them like during the 4th of July. So I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. Like that sounds cool to me. I could hang out with bikers for three days. That sounds great. And I've never been one to dive into politics too much. Like I always have sometimes I'll, I'll have some like political reference in my images, but I've never been like known as a political photographer. So I thought it was kind of cool for me because to me, I don't get really caught up in it. So like maybe it wouldn't have really affected me too much while I spent the times with them. But that was, it was pretty hard, you know, cause it's, you're dealing with such an extreme way of living and belief. You know, like they're not just like on the right side or in the red side of the political spectrum. Like they're pretty far right. And you also have groups like the Proud Boys there, too, who are also starting up a lot of trouble, like being rowdy in the bar, like screaming at people that are walking by, getting in like drunk fits. Like, you know, it's, it's and, and, you know, you, you, tr- you start to meet these people and you want to earn their trust. you got to have these conversations. And obviously anything that does with politics, you know, the first thing they want to ask you is, like, what's your political stance on this and this and this? And you're like, ah, well, you know, this is what I believe. Like, like I'll be honest with you because I don't want you to feel like I'm being disgenuine. But, but, like, you know, you have to be, like, you know, you have to come in with a mindset, too. Is like you're there to tell a story. You can't. Like I said, you can't project like your own personal beliefs or thoughts into something because that's that's not real journalism. That's not real 
documentary work that's that's you painting a picture of how you see things through your beliefs you know so i just have to put that in check and i just have to like kind of wipe it out and just you know be kind of a blank slate when i'm in situations like that but by the end of that trip i was pretty happy to get the fuck out of there like you know one of the bikers was trying to get in a fight with the journalist like he was all threatened to beat him up you know, it was kind of weird. All the all the men and the bikers were like really didn't trust us because they knew we were with BuzzFeed, which is a pretty liberal news source. So they automatically were like, "Don't talk to these guys. Don't be involved with them at all." All the women bikers wanted to talk to us. Ended up like kind of developing this friendship. All of them during the whole time we were there. So we started this like kind of weird beef within the biker club that like. You know, the head guy told one of the members not to talk to us, but she didn't care because she's like, you're not bossing around, so she's talking to us. And so, like, the guys hate us even more because, you know, the women bikers don't give a shit and they're willing to talk to us. And it was just, like, this weird dynamic that was pretty un unsettling. And, real, I've been in, like, trap houses with, like, guns and drugs pointed at my face and all this crazy shit, and I felt more unsafe and more in danger just being a, around a bunch of just drunk strong politically geared people because they didn't act with any kind of ration or any kind of logic or there was no like rules to abide by it's just like they're completely acting off of just pure emotion and anger and rage and there's no like logic to that and when you're in situations like that it gets pretty unsettling for the most part so yeah, that was definitely that's definitely a good situation where I was like, I I'm looking forward to just getting out of here. So going back to working with a journalist, um, on your assignments, how often is are you paired with somebody that will be writing the article? Not too often, you know. Like a lot of the um, stories that I've I've developed, it's a I develop them myself, and I'll just kind of pitch them as like a photo story. And I'll do the writing for them myself because I think it's just a lot easier that way. But there's there's definitely a few times where if it's for a good publication and, you know, by any means, I'm not a good journal, like I'm not a good writer or reporter. You know, that's why I take photos because I'm horrible at writing. So like it's nice to have like somebody there that can just focus on that. I can focus on taking the photos. So like that was a good example. Um, or I've actually... I've photographed stories that I find that are like really interesting. And I'm like, you know what? There's so much more to this than just the photos that I'm taking. So I've, I've pitched them. Like I've done, like I've helped uh, fix and produce a few like short films for vice where it's like, cool. Like I got, I got a great photo. I can kind of tell a story and it's really great for the book, but I want to feel the whole story be told more. So I'll actually like present them the story and then they'll send like a film crew and actually film like a whole short film on that. And I kind of am just like the guy in the middle putting all the pieces together to make sure like they're connected with the right people and they're, and they're like situated when their film crew gets there and stuff like that. So that's been really gratifying. Are you there with the film crew? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's not necessary, you know, like, um, let's say if it's just like, you know, um, what's a good example. I think I wasn't there for one of the stories they did on like a Detroit sideshow stuff. So, like, I didn't necessarily have to be there because I, I'm a good, I'm always going to Detroit and I always a link up with those guys, so it's no big deal. And it's something that I haven't experienced. But a lot of times I want to be there. I want to make sure that I'm there because, um, you know, the the people that the story is on, they're the one that trust me, right? 
So I want to make sure that I'm there in case anything goes south. I don't ruin that relationship because like some strangers rolled in, messed, like did something they weren't supposed to. And I have to, I'm the one taking the blame for it because obviously it's like my relationship that I've. So, um, yeah, I try to be there as much as I can just to, just to make sure things go smoothly. And I, I want to take more photos too. So, you know, while they're filming and they're doing their stuff, I'm, I'm always there taking photos and it's just, it's definitely like a story that I've already found intriguing and I'm into. So, there's no reason why I wasn't there to make more photos and tell more of the story on my side too. So with those relationships, how long are some of those relationships you've had with, you know, certain groups around the country that you, you keep going back and photographing or finding new pockets? Uh, I usually try to keep in touch with everybody that I, that mostly, you know, like I've, I've developed some great friendships from just like linking up with people on the first trip. And then if on the next trip, when I'm around, I'll hit them up and I'll go hang out with them and, you know, there's a there's a, a group of lowrider guys in Washington D.C. that I'm really cool with. So like, we got along really great. Like, they're super fun. Every time I go out, we just take out all the cars, and you know, hot cars are hopping in front of the White House and stuff. It's so fun, you know. So, and everybody that I meet, like, I I'm I'm already so invested in, and I, and I feel like I I develop such a close personal relationship with anyways, whether I was photographing or not. I just want to see how they're doing, and I want to check in on them and. You know, I want to see like what they've been up to because like I see these photos a lot and I'm always thinking about them and wondering, oh, I wonder what they're up to these days or where, you know, when I last saw them, they were talking about moving and doing all this cool stuff. Like I'll call and be like, hey, did that ever happen? Like, did you ever like kind of push forward to these ideas that you were talking about when we were there? So I I like keeping in touch with those people for sure. So bringing it back to your book, your body of work, what you're you're looking to put out uh, early next year. As someone looks at your work, what do you think you're communicating to them? I, I want to show people like how awesome people are, <laughs> you know, like how cool each group and everybody's like individual like culture and their scene. And, and I want people just to feel something. I want them to feel even if it's something they've never seen before, or even if they're angry, like I want these images to just make you think and feel and think about the situation and think about why are these people here? What are they doing? It's like, what maybe this will inspire me to do something that I've wanted to do in my life. Like I just really want to create an emotion. I want people to give people a, a feeling of being somewhere that they probably would have never been or experienced before. And, and just really just kind of see how rich and beautiful people are and our culture and um like how beautiful and rich our culture is and how cool people are and how like everybody's got a unique story everybody's got something really powerful to say everybody's an, an individual that's living their own life so maybe if it just intrigues some sort of thought or some emotion that's really my goal conversations is available on all major podcast platforms like this episode subscribe and rate us on itunes We promise we'll give you a hug if we ever see you in the real world, or at least a high five. Visit us at the Photographic Journal for our latest interviews, photo essays, and features. Want even more? Follow us on Instagram at TPJ.